Hello, and welcome to Fiction Fans, a podcast where we read books and poetry, too. I'm Lily. And I'm Sarah. And I am so thrilled to introduce our very first poet guest, T.L. Cody. Taylor, how are you tonight? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. Are you not going to say the, the title of her collection of poetry, Lily? <laughs> I'll get there. I got too excited to in- introduce Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> That's understandable. Taylor, our very first poet who wrote Summer Lines and the Leaves That Fall Behind Them. But we're not talking about that yet. First, Ooh. Taylor, what's something great that happened lately? Actually, today... I got my first royalties. <gasps> that's like huge. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. I'm very excited. It made me feel like an actual adult writer <laughs> instead of like an adolescent writer, mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> You've leveled up. Mm-hmm. Like, no, mom, I get to eat ice cream for breakfast now because I'm an adult. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, congratulations. First of all, most importantly. And also that's fantastic. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah, indeed. (laughs) Sarah, how about you? My good thing is that over the weekend, we went to the Monterey Bay Aquarium, which was lovely. Very expensive. Tickets are now $50. Oh, it's fucking worth it, though. I love the Monterey Bay. It it was great. We did spend more time driving there than we did actually at the aquarium. But it was it was still lovely. It was a lot of fun. Oh, did you see a shark? We did see some sharks. Good. That's all I care about. We saw sharks. We saw otters. We didn't see penguins because the penguin exhibit was closed. For bird flu, we went to the zoo earlier this summer and they closed the penguins. It wasn't, I mean, they didn't say that it was for bird flu. They said it was because they were redoing their habitat. Oh, okay. Well, but, yeah. I guess California is different from Washington. Fake news. Yeah. <laughs> Fake news. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they could have just been lying to us. Yeah. For all I know. <laughs> it's possible. I big aquarium is behind it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> They're like, penguins are too charismatic. We need you to pay more attention to the jellyfish. Oh, the jellyfish were great, though. Oh, they're always the best part. I know I said sharks, but mm, jellyfish. Octopus. Anything with an octopus is great. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was, I mean, like the octopus was very cool. Don't get me wrong, but not quite as photogenic as the jellyfish. <laughs> like the octopus was just hanging out in the corner, so you couldn't really see anything. Whereas the jellyfish were just, you know, floating in the, the hole. Yeah. And they light them up and it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was gorgeous. Well, my good thing. <laughs> Tell us about your good thing. Yeah. It's not that good. I didn't get to see the jellyfish. <laughs> that would have been better. <laughs> we had stone top session for the first time in, I want to say over a month. Stone top being, it's a tabletop RPG. It's D&D, but it's not exactly D&D. And it's extra exciting because Taylor is in our session or our campaign. That's the word. <laughs> <laughs> Same difference. Yeah. <laughs> and so I get to hang out with you twice this week, which is fantastic. I know. <laughs> <laughs> D&D takes a lot of time. And sometimes that's a situation. But I love hosting. And I love seeing our friends. Mm-hmm. And I love hanging out. And I love doing some crazy shape-shifting bullshit, mm-hmm. which <laughs> is always great. And 
one of our friends is like on a power trip or he's a great role player and his character is Mm -hmm. on a power trip. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like that's going to come to a head soon and I don't know what we're going to do about it. (laughs) I'm a little nervous. (laughs) I mean, yeah, his personality has changed in a way where I'm fearful of his vindictive abilities, if you will. (laughs) Again, to clarify his character. Yeah. Oh, sorry. His characters. No, it's fine. Axel is the sweetest, which makes it so it's fun true. when he plays characters that are like, oh no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even just watching him talk about it outside of game is like, I don't believe that you were saying these words. <laughs> 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 I cannot integrate mm-hmm. your sweetness with your characters, like, hmm, debatable. Absolute savagery. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way to put it. (laughs) Our next question. Now, Taylor, this is very investigative, hard-hitting journalism, so (laughs) be prepared. I'm ready. What are you drinking tonight? I have a 2020 Rosé of Sangiovese by Bernard Griffin, which is... From Washington, I think. Yes. Richland, Washington. Excellent. You went local. That's wonderful. Oh, yeah. We always love drinking local on this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. My local, drink local. Yes. Support your local producers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're running out of rosé weather. So I'm glad that you're taking advantage of it while you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last day of summer is today, I think. Officially. So, (laughs) Sarah, how about you? I do not have the bottle with me, although I really should because that would save time when I need to refill my glass. (laughs) But so it is some kind of red wine. I do not remember what kind. I do not remember who it is made by. It's good though. All right. (laughs) Red wine. (laughs) Any red wine is good red wine. So, pretty much. Well, I'm going to lie and pretend that I am drinking the wine that Taylor gifted me on Sunday, as if I hadn't already finished it before now. (laughs) (laughs) It's understandable if you did. It's easy to do so. (laughs) We had a little bit of help. I'm drinking wine out of some kind of box, (laughs) as is my want. And this might surprise you from uh, how this has been going so far, but this is actually a lit podcast. (laughs) So have you read anything good lately? Right now I am reading Of Women and Salt by Gabriela Garcia. Oh, wait, I've heard of that. That Mm -hmm. sounds really good. Yeah, it's kind of goes through a couple of different women's stories, but they're all in the same family line. And it kind of goes through the struggles of their lives and like the big kind of heartbreaks and happiness of them. And in a way, they all kind of connect in a cyclical fashion. I'm not done with it yet, but so far it's really good. You know, Hispanic heritage is very close to my heart and also it's Hispanic Heritage Month. So I kind of was like, well, if there isn't a better time to read about I think they're from Cuba. Yeah. So the whole family immigrated from Cuba. It's very good. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard great things. It sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. The prose in the book itself is really beautiful, in my opinion, as well. Awesome. My answer is no. <laughs> 
you have read some some lovely poetry. I read some lovely poetry, but that's for the podcast. That doesn't count. <laughs> I got burnt out on fan fiction lately. I don't know. I read a. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Taylor. I read a lot of fan fiction. We spoke about it briefly. I'm on a low phase, which just means I'm not reading anything. I uninstalled Reddit from my phone, which should be good because now I can't kill time on Reddit. So now I just like bounce back and forth between like opening the internet, deciding none of that looks interesting, and then like opening Discord and then realizing no one has texted me. And then I just go back and forth for a while until I kill enough time. So I'm not actually any more productive. <laughs> Life is hard. Sarah, please save me. What have you read? <laughs> uh, I've been reading Tower of Mud and Straw by Yaroslav Barsakov, which is a novella because I still cannot focus on reading anything longer than a novella. Like for the last month, I just cannot focus on longer works. Luckily, there are a lot of very good novellas, both indie and trad published, to keep me occupied, and this is one of them. So this is something I've been meaning to read for ages. We're Twitter mutuals with the author, and this has been on my TBR for basically as long as we've been doing this podcast. Well, congrats for finally yes. having time. <laughs> yes, so I'm finally getting around to reading it. And it's very good. I'm I'm not very far into it, but I'm really loving his prose and I'm interested in the characters and all of that. So But we're not here to talk about very excellent diverse literature or even novellas. Today we're talking about poetry, which is a new angle for fiction fans. <laughs> Technically, we talk about fiction. But we gave up on that a little while ago. <laughs> and I think poetry sort of exists in this very interesting intersection between fiction and nonfiction. It's so personal, but also so removed from the real. And there's not a question there. I was just wondering if you had an opinion. <laughs> I would agree with that. And I think in some ways it's like very open and raw, but also convoluted. And you kind of understand what someone is feeling in that moment, but you can't always understand where the words are stemming from or what they might be going through. And I think in that way, sometimes it relates to fiction because you have to expand your mind <laughs> to kind of piece together the puzzle of what they might be going through. Also, certain lines will stick with you, even if the intention from the author was not on the same page as where you are. But the words are still applicable because every human feels emotion. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I think you really hit the nail on the head that there are so many stories that prose brings us through, you know, so many books, so many novels and poetry can take us to the same places, but it does it in such a condensed, distilled form. And so the experience of reading it and writing it is so very different, even though you're still taking the reader through the spectrum of human emotions I also think that with poetry, it's a lot easier to intertwine the fictional and non-fictional aspects and that you can have poems that deal with one or the other or both like all in the same collection. Whereas with what we read primarily, which is like fantasy and sci-fi, like it's not quite so 
personal in many respects, I think. Obviously, authors write themselves into stories and their feelings into stories whenever, but like that's not genre dependent. But I think it's a lot easier to, to dip in and out in poetry than it is in, in other genres. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. We're not going to ask you to go line by line and say like, <laughs> this one's fiction. This one's nonfiction. <laughs> this one's fiction. <laughs> okay, but we've we've sort of touched on another thing, the similarities between, I'm going to use the word prose to refer to everything else and then poetry. <laughs> so Sarah, you're a huge mood reader which I am not when it comes to prose, but poetry for me, I have to be like in the zone, not just the poetry Mm. zone, but also the right zone for the poetry. Luckily, Summer Lines, the collection, we are like at the end of summer right now. So it was Mm. absolutely perfect. Oh, that does work out timing wise. (laughs) I know. I don't, this episode is going to come out a little bit later, but it's it's pretty close. (laughs) And I was just wondering, Taylor, I don't know if you're a mood reader or not. I guess that's the first part of the question. Yeah, I think yes and. I think yes and. (laughs) (laughs) I think I go through phases where I kind of force myself to read a lot and then I don't for a while and something will just kind of pop in my brain and be like, ooh. I have to read that, which I think also leads into me having a book collection that is all too large for my current bookshelf. <laughs> I mean, I think that's just called being alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I keep trying to convince Santino that I need like a wall of bookshelves. It's a work in progress. <laughs> Why stop there? <laughs> I know. I thought if I could convince a wall, then I would only have to convince one wall at a time. Mm-hmm. And after four times of convincing, I would eventually have a room of shelving. <laughs> the whole house. Don't let him listen to this. He's going to like cut me out as a bad influence. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him that we support you in this endeavor. And obviously he'll care a lot and, and we'll then do it. He's True. obviously outnumbered. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just going to like make an official petition <laughs> yeah. and have signatures. We will sign why we need a library. (laughs) It's important. Starting the movement right now. (laughs) But that's about reading. And I was wondering, do you feel like you're a mood writer? I mean, because so much of your poetry is extremely atmospheric. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like you have to be in the right headspace or other space in order to do the writing you want to do? Not always. A lot of the poetry that I included in my book kind of just happened in a moment where I had a brief fleeting thought of a line and at least the specific poem that comes to mind, I had the fleeting thought of a line and I was in the middle of working at the restaurant that I worked at at the time, mid-shift, mid-dinner rush. And I was kind of going through a lot of stuff at the time. So yes, maybe that does give evidence (laughs) to being a mood writer, but I didn't even say anything to anybody. I just like went out back where the smokers took their cigarette breaks and pulled my phone out and just fucking like wrote a whole page of stuff. Not to say that all that stuff went through the edit and stayed the same (laughs) way, but I think a lot of 
the way I write is a line will kind of come. And then whenever the rest of the tidal wave decides it's coming, it is time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I (laughs) just have to sit there and write through it. I have had moments where I will like set a specific schedule for writing and I've gotten some good stuff out of it. But I think a lot of the things that I hold closest to my heart in my own writing have just kind of flooded their way. (laughs) And like, whatever you're doing is not as important as these things that are coming into your brain right now. Like it was to a point where when I first started dating Santino and, you know, I'd be like, if you ever find me awake with my phone at 3 a.m. randomly, just trust me, I'm fucking writing. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't care if you look over my shoulder, that's totally fine. But you're probably not going to understand half of what is going on because I'll just be writing in my manic way of inspired writer stuff. (laughs) Well, that made its way onto the page, at least in some format, right? Because we have the poem, I think the title is Don't Fall in Love with a Writer about, yeah, that's very interesting. Okay. I have a lot of opinions. We won't get into it right now. (laughs) Now I have so many different interpretations. I could write essays about that poem. (laughs) A lot of threads went into that one. I don't think that there's a specific one story or life narrative that went into that poem. I was going to say, because I thought that poem was maybe a little bit more abstract, fictional, Okay. The problem is that I I know you, at least to some extent. (laughs) From my perspective, I read it as like someone talking to an ex-boyfriend. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. And so having the added context of current partner. Like, what the heck is this? Definitely changes the tone of the (laughs) poem. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That is exactly what we're talking about, how poetry intersects the universal and the personal in such a way that no other writing really can. And you can write a poem, (laughs) a bit, a story, a moment that is maybe true for you at this time that you're writing it, but isn't necessarily a universal truth. I just spoke myself into a circle, but I think that's the point of poetry, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I would say (laughs) so. Speaking yourself into a circle. (laughs) So the title of the piece is Lines of Summer, and you have several different sections within it, different seasons, starting with summer. And that is fascinating to me because obviously, you know, mythologically, we start with spring, even though, you know, cosmically, it starts with winter. Uh, Everything is different. (laughs) So I was wondering if you'd tell us a little bit about your decision to start with summer. Actually, the reason it starts with summer is based on my decision of where I wanted it to end Oh, more so than where I wanted it to start. I separated thematically into categories of seasons of my life and feeling, and I view spring as like a vision of renewal and starting over and growth from more barren, darker parts of life. Well, it's such a hopeful place to end on, just thematically. Yeah. Uh, You have a couple of author's notes in the piece that we're not going to include, but 
you got to read it to find out guys. <laughs> <laughs> and they're always so warm and positive. And so he like hearing that, that makes a lot of sense. Like I really understand. I did not get that. I was like, mm. <laughs> that's not where the year starts. Obviously, you know that. So there must be something. <laughs> At least I'm pretty sure I've seen a calendar once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we start with the warmth of summer. There are some line breaks that to me felt like they were maybe more about the shape of the page than the line of the poem. I was just wondering how much input you had over the shape of the poetry on the page of the finished work. The vanity of the pages moving fluidly as you read them, not necessarily as you process them, but as your eyes gloss over them is kind of how I write. And in my growing up, I did a lot of theater in which we read a lot of poetry. And one of the things that stuck with me that I was taught during that time where we went through poetry and theater was don't pay attention to where the line aesthetically ends when you're reading it. Just read through and over. And I think that habit is partially why it's laid out the way it is, because the way my brain reads it, I just ram straight over and to the start of the next sentence without taking a beat, unless there's a punctuation or breath that needs to be taken there. So it's partially vanity, partially force of habit, partially. That's how my brain works. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the way that those like long sentences look on the page in poetry. I think there's something so pleasing about just aesthetically, like how fluid they look. Well, that's because you are biased towards the romantic poets. <laughs> and you're just seeing that in Taylor's work, which is fine. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm mm -hmm. saying <laughs> that, that's what's going on. It was just on. something that struck a flag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of my meter in poetry and the way the lines work out is because my brain kind of just doesn't stop until the line has to end. <laughs> And so wherever it just goes to the next line is where it goes. So <laughs> was there ever a part of this actual like physical book process where you had to account for the physical page or was it entirely just the flow? No, I, I don't think there were any page like limitations necessarily. I definitely did shorten some parts of pieces in order for them to be able to be opened together because I thought it was important to not have to turn the page during one piece unless it was a long one. I feel like that's something that we don't necessarily get because I think Lily and I, we both read it as an ebook. So we don't have that sense of like turning the page, but that was my question. Like not so much what modifications or not you had to do to fit the poem on the page itself, but like how you decided line breaks and whether or not where a poem ended on the page affected how you wrote it. Like that was what I was wondering about, which I think you already answered. So that's not a question, <laughs> but yeah, it was mostly just wanting, like if it was a longer poem to not have to have the beginning on one side of the page and then having to flip it to the back I wanted you to be able to see all of it kind of in front of you and not have to pause that flow 
Did you make a conscious decision to try not to have a stanza start on one page and then go to the other? Yeah. And I think that was just like the way my brain processes things. If I have to flip the page and it's partway through a stanza, it will just kind of like, hold on, I have to go back and reread whatever it was that I just read because I have no idea where I'm at now. (laughs) No, absolutely. If just a comma pauses the human brain, flipping an entire page is going to fuck up your whole life. (laughs) 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 So is that maybe why you put some of the imagery where you did? They felt like really nice pauses in between poems. We had like a, a brief image in between. And it was that just to sort of like fix the pages so that the poems would be where you wanted them to be? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did do that. <laughs> it worked. I mean, even scrolling through an ebook, it still like made me stop and go, okay, this is the end. <laughs> let's, yeah. Let's make sure I actually digested this. Mm-hmm. In the process, I kind of considered the imagery that I was putting in between or in the midst of my words, kind of like a palate cleanser. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe not within so many words, but it felt wrong to put them in between the same story, if you will. We talked a little bit about what your process is like. You know, you you mentioned that you have this kind of like inspiration and then it all just comes tumbling out until you get it down on the page. But what is your revision process like like how different is the final poem from the first draft do you have any that are particularly different or like any that are pretty much the same as as when you first wrote them down I think the one that comes most to mind that oddly it's one of the shorter ones that I edited the most that probably changed the most is Midnight Sun it's only three stanzas total But that one was kind of just like emotional word vomit in its (laughs) raw form. Mm -hmm. And I honestly probably have the original somewhere, but couldn't tell you what the hell I wrote. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was just like this fog of typing and grr. Maybe not grr, but just being so inside my heart and chest in a way that it was just kind of like spewing itself onto the page of its own will. And then I read it a little while later and was like, what the hell? This isn't like <laughs> it's original form didn't even have any format. It was just like all one run along paragraph of stuff. Free form poetry, as they call it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's probably the one I think that changed the most like obviously all of them I've edited and gone through and tweaked and changed bits and moved bits here which is why I stopped writing my poetry in a notebook because I got to the point where I had so many arrows <laughs> from one way and another <laughs> that I couldn't even read half of what I meant when I was editing it the first time so when I came back to it the second time after not rewriting it after drawing the arrows don't know what I meant <laughs> like I could read the original words and what I was writing the first time but my editing notes were just like scrawls and squiggles of no I need to move this here and do this with it I was like but what is the this that I have to do to it <laughs> well it sounds like you have generally a pretty intense editing process that the poems go through before they 
like transform into their final form. Yeah. I mean, I usually go through them. Most of them, I think I went through at least like 10 times, <laughs> which like my editor at the time was like, okay, is this the last time or are we going to get another new draft from you because you <laughs> didn't like the word that you used on page 27 for the third time? <laughs> I mean, you you have to be sure that you're happy with what you're putting out. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in the way that I am very chaotic in my first writing, I am the complete opposite of the spectrum in the editing process where all of my meticulous energy goes into the editing process rather than the writing process. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like once you have it down on the page, you know, you're good and you can tinker with it, but you just have to to get it on the page first. Mm Mm-hmm. I've like woken out of dreams and just like closed eyed, not even looking at what I was writing and just like typing something into my notes and I'll wake up the next day and read it. And like, I don't know what half of these words are. Thank God for autocorrect. (laughs) So do you often get inspired from dreams? Like what inspires most of your poetry? I think a lot of my poetry stems from emotion. (laughs) (laughs) I think the way I process things that I go through in life, good and bad, is with an inner narrator that kind of just likes to throw words and visuals into them. And so putting them on paper kind of makes sense of all of these conflicting ways that my mind deals with whatever it is I'm going through, <laughs> good or bad. I mean, you started with a poem called Pandemia, which I don't think I'm wrong to assume is about COVID-19. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. There's such an incredible thing when you can just reference this one word, Mm -hmm. pandemic. And (laughs) everyone knows, every reader knows exactly the time and not necessarily place, but inside your own house (laughs) is a place. (laughs) You, by one title, you set that entire poem in such a concrete location. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if there is a question there. I just started talking about (laughs) this poem. And you must have used that purposefully to bring us to the same place that you were mentally when you wrote it. Yeah, that was a purposeful choice for sure. Funny enough, when I did write that poem, it's not the oldest poem in the book. It's on the newer side of the spectrum of the poetry that's included in the book itself. So they're not necessarily in a specific timeline. They're kind of put together in feelings and phases, if you will, of emotion that I- seasons. <laughs> Weird. (laughs) (laughs) That I was able to categorize my emotions into, I guess. That specific one, it was right at the beginning of the pandemic, kind of. My friend and her fiance had to move back here. And so I went to Arizona to help them pack all of their stuff. And it was super eerie. And I felt super like not okay about traveling really, but you know, just like super messed up and not near anyone at all, hiding in corners kind of thing. 
But before we left, we went to her mom's house with all of her brothers and whatnot. And they, we'll say, encouraged everyone to get way too wasted on Corona. (laughs) And this was like after all the parents of adult children had gone to bed and everyone was just kind of chatting around a table. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I have to write. Like (laughs) it was, it was party time, but not for my brain. (laughs) It was like writing time during the party. So I was sitting there listening as my brain was just kind of like, these are the words, put them on the page, read them later. I have to say, I think you're a great friend for going to help someone move like at the beginning of the pandemic. It was stressful. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. (laughs) There's something special. And the word special is has maybe too loaded for me to use this about how using the pandemic in a narrative cements it in time so concretely it cements it concretely (laughs) i said it i'm sticking to it (laughs) but so much of your entire collection is about time i mean the sections are about seasons and then time is absolutely a recurring theme in the poems that you have Mm -hmm. written and i just have not written a question for this but it sure is something i've noticed (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's just something that's, I don't know, if on my mind regularly slash all the time, maybe I'm just in existential crisis mode of 24-7, <laughs> and that's why it just keeps reoccurring. Time is something that I, if you think about it too much, there's never enough. So mentioning it in an art form makes it feel like I have more of it than maybe my anxious mind lets me believe that I do. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you think in that sense that writing poetry is a form of therapy for you? Oh yeah. I definitely process my emotions by writing down my existential word vomit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Normally, we would have a section near the end of our conversation about why someone should read this book, except you already answered that in your (laughs) preface and the summary of the work. But someone who hasn't read it yet doesn't know those things. I would never turn this question on an author, except that you already answered it. So... I think the reason that if I didn't write this <laughs> book that I would read it is that it is filled with normal things that everyone goes through and it brings a bunch of different timelines in one life together in a very randomly assorted way in an organized randomly assorted way maybe <laughs> In a way that classifies the emotions that you would go through in a year, in five years, but puts all of them together, ending with how you came out of it and what you learned from it and how you grew through what you went through. 
That is a theme that struck me, I think, throughout it, is even in the most somber moments of this poetry, it always comes out optimistic on the other side, maybe in a different work, maybe in a later season. (laughs) But you always end up hopeful for the future. And that really is a wonderful thing to experience as a reader. We all need a little bit of optimism in our lives. Yeah, I've said this before, but I I tend to prefer books that have some kind of hopeful note to them, which your poetry definitely contains. Like I finished reading it feeling uplifted um, and not depressed. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm happy to hear that. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about like what you're currently working on? Are you working on more poetry or anything else? Yeah, mostly poetry. That is my like one true literary love. I think it feels like second nature to me to be in poetry, I guess. I think mostly that, but that is not all put together into another collection, although that's not out of the question. I also am just very random minded as a creative person where I have lots of different types of projects (laughs) and a whole list of books and paintings and whatnot that I um, want to work on or am going to work on. I did buy some brand new canvases the other day. So I think some painting might be in my future. I also kind of just wanted to give myself a reason to buy some new canvases. (laughs) (laughs) I approve of this decision. (laughs) Thank you. Painting is probably the other big creative aspiration that I have always leaned into. So I think that's another way that I kind of just process being a human and doing life stuff. How would you say that your painting like creatively complements your poetry? Do you think that it like adds a dimension to your writing or... I would say yes, mostly because my, okay, because my mom told me so, (laughs) (laughs) but my mom is self-spokenly not a creative. She doesn't really lean into art. She's very like data-based type of person. And she read my book and she's seen all of my paintings. I always send them to her and she's always very supportive. Good job. It looks great. I like the colors. (laughs) (laughs) And then she read my book and she said, I just realized how your paintings make sense to you. And I think that was probably the best compliment that I could have gotten about my book. (laughs) It's fantastic. So yeah, I think they are very intertwined in the way that it's just kind of like my heart putting itself in a blender and pouring itself out onto a page or canvas. (laughs) Well, my next question is not nearly so thoughtful. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Where can our listeners find you on the internet? (laughs) Oh, yeah. All of my social media is at Revelry in Red. So I'm on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And we will link to those in the episode description so that no one has to type shit in because that's too much work. (laughs) It is a lot of work. I was thinking about verbally spelling it out and I was like, no. I saw it on your face. You were like, red as in read, as in the past tense of red. And I was like, I know. 
don't. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) We support laziness on this podcast. I love it. Well, Taylor, it has been so much fun talking to you. Thank you for dealing with our nonsense novel point of view. (laughs) Novel as in books. Oh, that word sure does mean a lot of things, huh? Yes, it does mean a lot of things. Uh, well, thanks for hanging out. Yeah, this is this has been just lovely. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Yeah, I'm grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. And uh, the next time your next poetry collection comes out, we'll see you then. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Fiction Fans. Come disagree with us. We're on Twitter and Instagram at FictionFansPod. You can also email us at FictionFansPod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And follow us wherever your podcasts live. Thanks again for listening, and may your villains always be defeated. Bye! Bye.